2: I first had the opportunity to meet Bobby April when he was coaching with the Bills. I had just given a presentation and I met him virtually. He sent me an email. Somehow he had received one of my PowerPoint presentations and he sent me a very nice note and an email about the detail that I put into it. And then I was thrilled to be able to have him on the podcast. He joined Charlie Coiner and I during the 2018 season. And he talked to us about the different ways that he organizes special teams. There's a lot to take out of this one. I know it's one you'll enjoy. Welcome to Coaching Coordinator Podcast. Our guest host for this series is former NFL coach Charlie Coyner. Charlie, thanks for joining me here. Hey, Keith. Good to be back. Week three. time flying. Coach, I'm really excited about our guest today and the topic as well. Uh, our guest today is former NFL coach, former college coach, former high school coach, Bobby April, who really has become known in the football world as a special teams guru.
1: Yeah, Steve, I was fortunate enough to work with him at the Buffalo Bills, and, and Bobby is as passionate about the game of football and what it teaches and, and obviously special teams, which you know he spent his whole life involved with. So this is going to be a real treat today.
2: Yeah, I actually had a very brief interaction with Bobby April um, back when I was in my early thirties, and I think it was at my second head coaching job. And I just put, you know, presentation out there. I can't remember who I did it for, but it, it ended up on the internet somewhere. And Coach April saw it, and he was at the Bills at the time. I got this email from Bobby April. And I was like, "Wow, is this real?" You know, and, and Coach said, "This is the best presentation I've ever seen on." The run game and you know that meant a lot to me at the time really impacted me and that the detail I was putting into it I thought that was great to get that feedback from coach and you know as you told me he's he's just a great guy a very genuine guy and a guy who is you know willing to take time and share with us on this podcast.
1: That's exactly who he is and and you know my my experience with Bobby was exactly uh, the same thing as what you're describing there and and the thing that I think will jump out, you know, as as we get him on the on the phone here a little bit, is just obviously a, a tremendous coach from the overall standpoint of seeing the big game pitcher and how special teams fit in. But when when I was with Bobby April at the Buffalo Bills, Coach Jaron felt so strongly about Bobby's ability to motivate the team, and and he understood that most special teams in the NFL Bobby was addressing the entire team for the most part maybe the quarterbacks were the only people that he he wasn't in front of at some point in time Bobby actually conducted a lot of our motivational talks the night before the game and I want to tell you what he was inspirational now I mean every he would he would always do his homework and it was it was almost like you were going to church a little bit I mean it was a You know, we would obviously go over the special teams part of it and talk about the organization for the next day. But he would always finish up with five or ten minutes. And it was it was something that not only jacked the team up for the next day, but it also really rallied everyone together as a team, understanding that uh, offense, defense, special teams, the team was really going to need to pull together the next day's game.
2: When you look at Coach's biography, it really reads as one of a guy who is highly motivated, probably just doing excellent work because he really climbed the ranks here and, and made his way around every level. So I'll, I'll, I'll go through it. He started coaching high school ball in 1976 as an assistant at Shalmet High School in Louisiana. From there, he became a GA at Southern Miss, went on to be the t- tight ends coach at Tulane. He was at Arizona for six seasons as a defensive line coach and secondary coach. From there, he moved on for three years to Southern Cal as secondary and kicking coach. Then to Ohio State for a year as their secondary coach. And then he made the jump to the NFL. He was with the Atlanta Falcons from 91 to 93, tight ends and special teams. Pittsburgh Steelers, 94 to 95, special teams coach. New Orleans Saints, 96 through 99. as a special teams coach, went on to do the same things for the Rams 2001 to 3, Buffalo Bills 2004 to 9 he was also the assistant head coach there, Uh, then he was with the Eagles 2010 through 12, the Raiders 13 and 14 New York Jets 2015, Tennessee Titans 2016 and in 2017 he was a special teams analyst for LSU Uh, in that he was named the NFL special teams coach of the year twice in 2004 and 2008, and I think for people around football know Bobby, they really view him as a guru of special teams.
1: That's quite a resume. <laughs>
2: That's all I'll say. <laughs> well, let's get Coach on the phone. I'm excited to have him here and, and talk about special teams and get some of his philosophy and thoughts on how you're successful in that area. Coach April, it's great to have you here on the podcast. Charlie and I are both excited to be able to talk some special teams and coaching football with you. Well, thank you, uh, Keith, and, and good to be with Charlie again as well. Good to talk to you, Bobby. <laughs> excited about having you here. No no play on words here, but let's get things kicked off, and I'll, I'll turn it over to Charlie for our first question here. Well, Bobby, having having worked with
1: you at the Bills, and uh, you know, it's always a different situation wherever you are. And if you're in high school, you've probably got a Situation either where the phases of special teams are all divided up, maybe one guy has uh, a phase, or, or maybe you've got a guy that's got three of them. However, but even even at the NFL level, you know, I worked as an assistant to, to Dave Tobe at Chicago, and when I was with you at the Bills, you didn't have an assistant. So there's so many different varieties of, of the way things are set up. But on game day, I, I remember just as being an assistant. Game day was always just petrifying to me because you never wanted to, you never wanted to look out there on special teams and have 10, and you darn sure didn't want to have 12. So I I guess the the first question I'd like to ask you, do you have any insight just really across the board about little things that coaches might do to help with game day organization? Yeah, well, the first thing you, you have to do
0: is realize that you as the play caller, so to speak, you're generally looking out on the field, at the situation, at the hash, at the down and distance, and at the opponent's sideline to make a strategic call. If, if, if you're that play caller for a return or where you want to punt the ball, whatever scheme you would be using, you you almost have to be in that position to do that. So consequently, you're not turning around to the team to, to count everybody out. So you have to have someone... Who is responsible for helping you in that area? It, it, unfortunately for myself, it's never been a, a, a great a great area for me. We've had our, our own gaffes on on that type of thing, and it, it, it's a tough thing to, to get through. I think the biggest thing is to have a, a person that's very competent helping you, whether it's in the press box or on the field, and a head coach that puts a a premium on the guys guys having responsibility for that area and it, it's very tough but one guy it's very tough to do when they co- start coming on and off after you've made that call it can look like an intersection in, in Manhattan uh, <laughs> absolutely <laughs> and it, it's very very tough to make that call and by the time you realize it it's usually a timeout or you're running somebody out there late and if you even have that amount of time so you got to have somebody with you. The players ultimately have to be responsible for it. The ultimate blame is going to go on the coach. So the old saying, if you feed the cats too well, they won't eat. They won't eat the rats. <laughs> if if they're too coddled, and it's always the coach's responsibility. Sometimes they'll let you bear that, and that's a negative thing to say, but it's a, it's a truthful thing to say. So it's got to be instilled in them that. This is their responsibility, just like being out there on first and ten. If you're starting corner,
1: Bobby, have you ever? And uh, I've been, you know, Dave uh, used this, and I can't remember if we did it at the Bills or not. And I know we did it at Tennessee in 2012 when I was doing it. But have you ever incorporated the dots for the players when you you may have an assistant that's not as well versed, but but they can at least make sure that all eleven dots or or seven of the eleven dots are filled. If you got four out there on the offense, have you ever used that system? You know what?
0: I think it's a great system. I, I've never felt, at least in my situation, because I've seen it, I've, it, it goes back a pretty good ways. I've never felt in the situation where I've been, and I've been with a lot of good teams, a lot of great coaches, that the culture was such that we, I was able to pull a kid from a, a, a positional discussion early enough to get him over there. Um, (laughs) and you know, no complaints about it. I just didn't feel like that was ever our culture where we had it that, that, that far in advance, we could get guys up and over to the dot. Uh, that's, you know, that, that's a, that's a different hill you have to take with an entire staff. One that that I thought was, was not worth
1: fighting for. Just, it sounds like what you're saying. You just add one more, one more element to it that the, That could go wrong. (laughs) In other words, well, you
0: have to, you know. uh, Again, it's great, it's great, but the head coach has to make it great because if you want those guys standing on that dot on third down, and they just came off the field three plays ago from an 80-yard drive, and that secondary coach is making an adjustment, you have to have the authority to say, "The hell with the adjustment! I need the guy on the dot." And if you don't have that authority, over the course of that many plays and that many situations it's just you know it's just all being on the same page it's just all right. being on the same page and and it always comes from the head coach now the head coaches i've had were tremendous were tremendous i just in my own mind saw that and never felt comfortable to you know put that out to the team i'd rather have taken the bullet the other way than the guys to Take the bullet on maybe not having time to make an adjustment,
2: coach. A lot of this really comes to um, you know whether you put those dots there or you have a designated area on the sidelines. Is that transition of of players from you know whether it's offense or defense into that special teams? And a lot of times when I look at how people set up their practices, they kind of set it up I guess in a a sterile environment. In that this is punt period. So yeah, your guy is going to be focused. I know I need to be out there. What kind of things do you do to especially early on in the season to practice that transition? How how do you guys work that part of it that you're going from offense and now you gotta be on punt team or you know, whatever special team it might be? The greatest question ever
0: posed, because that is so critical. You know, what you do on game day is so much more important than what you do the rest of the week. In special teams, it's never practiced that way. Ever. That sterile environment you're talking about is, is absolutely the way they're conditioned, that everything stops, there's no flow, boom, we're into this period, and away we go. So the way I've tried to overcome that, and to the best of my ability to overcome it, in training camp, I would have the entire team come out there and get a, a team of coaches on the other end, and I would use particularly with the – I really started it when the when the new rules came in in the CBA about, you know, only walkthroughs and that type of thing. So put a, you know, put a, 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 a team of coaches on one sideline, the rest of the team on the other, and put them out there as an offensive unit and send the defense out. And then when it's third down and just play a game, play a game with – exchange of personnel against a a, a coach's team. And we had enough coaches uh, and you can make it anybody because you have the cards, be left guard on this one, be a halfback on this or whatever. Your lineman would stay the same. But I think that is the, the only way I knew of and the only way I did once the season came in on Saturday mornings, generally is a very light day. I would do an abbreviated function of that where everybody would be on the sideline, I would have, to have the teams come out the same way. Uh, I didn't use a staff of coaches. I just called the situation mm-hmm. from, from the field, and it went on air. So I said, Bills ball third and one at the 50-yard line. Punt team be ready. Punt team be ready. We didn't pick it up. All right, it's fourth and one. We're going we're to go for it. We're not going to punt. Boom, they'd stay. <laughs> Whatever. It's, it's fourth and 20 at the 50-yard line. Punt team, field goal unit, be ready. Because if you pick up, you know, whatever, 18 yards, you're now at the 32, you're going to kick a field goal. If you pick up no yards, you're going to punt. Follow what I'm saying? So Absolutely. you do have to make a commitment to it. Because on Saturday, you need, a, you know, you, the, the special teams coach needs 20 minutes to do that. To hit all the situations. But it's good for the offense, too, because when you – when you call third and one at the, at the 50, the offensive coaches have to be thinking, you know, personnel, what am I going to call? It's an academic exercise for them as well. Right. Because if it's third and 20, then you got a whole different situation and they got different personnel. Mm-hmm. So again, you know, the more, the more every, and that all comes from the head coach, the more everybody can be on the same phase in the same deal. Cause you got to get everybody moving with the arrows in the same direction. If I could, If there's one thing in coaching that I I would say that's the key is all the arrows are moving in the the right direction. If you have an example that the offensive coordinator thinks that us being out there six times uh, in 20 minutes is a waste and he can convince the head coach that that's not good for the offense, um, then you're not going to get, that twenty minutes mm-hmm. if he's convincing enough to the head coach, so I would say if if a staff was listening, a head coach was listening, the number one thing is get everybody on the same page if there's a if there's a discussion about time because that's what it ultimately uh, gets down to right I coached it, but did i did I have enough time to emphasize it? Mm-hmm. Did I give him enough reps, and there's a discussion about it. Both sides have got to make their case. And then the head coach has got to be uh, the judge and dr- jury to decide, hey, you don't like it, but this is way more important than what you're talking about. Right. All the special teams, especially the way it comes in there is the third wheel. The the less guys are on the same page, the less the head coach makes it vague, the greater your probability
1: of success on game day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And Bobby, you you know you're referring a lot to the the practices and how much time and it kind of segues right into game day. I mean, on on game day, I've always thought that, and I never did. I never aspired a lot to be a head coach or anything, but I always thought, you know, I was one of those guys that coached on offense and defense and special teams. I thought that the best training I would have ever had had I been a head coach was what I what I learned on special teams. Because the transition on game day is incredible as far as, you know, decisions that you have to make, like you were just talking, go for it, punt, uh, field goal, onside kick, trick play or whatever. Um so to me, you know the the relationship between the special teams coach and the head coach, and maybe in high school the head coach is gonna have that relationship with five or six guys, but that that seems critical to me at whatever level on game day.
0: Well, I, I think it is. I think when when you look at really the greatest training, the greatest training for being a head coach, in my mind, it's undoubtedly being the special teams coach. First of all, just your just the the ability to stand or, or the opportunity to stand in front of anywhere from thirty to fifty three guys every day and speak to. Uh, across the board positions and to motivate them and to get their attention and to do all of that. That is, that is on the job training every day. A lot of coaches and, and not to, not to condemn it, I'm just telling facts a lot of coaches and, you know, they say they coach the quarterbacks and that's a prime position to get head coaches, you know, a lot of times he'll be in a meeting with three guys and guys that are not diverse in, they only play that one position. They're not not—you're not talking to an offensive tackle and a wide receiver and a corner, and, you know, a fullback or a tailback. It's so you, your ability to communicate across the board. I don't, I don't, I, I've never understood why there haven't been more head coaches coming from that rank, especially with the success of John Arbaugh. Um, uh, I, I'm I'm always perplexed about that, but that's the way it is. No complaints. I, I think the communication between the head coach and the special teams coach is absolutely paramount. Just absolutely paramount. And the the more the head coach is involved with another area, say he's the play caller on offense, the less you're gonna be a part of that mix. The more the guy is eclectic, where he's involved in everything, the greater your opportunity for the special teams coach to kind of hone in there, you know, on second down. I mean, if if your head coach is the play caller on offense, and you try to get in there about a trick play, you know you you don't you don't call it as they're running onto the field. It, you, know, <laughs> you know what I'm talking about, right, Charlie? Yep, no uh, doubt. You need to get in there really on that series. And sometimes it's, it's hard to get a word in edgewise. So, again, it's, you know, it's everybody being able to communicate. But the head coach carving out that ability. And in high school, and, I, and I'm emphasizing this, because the high school coach, the high school head coach has got to have that kind of involvement for there to be a smooth game day transaction. I just think he has to be. Uh, or that guy that maybe coaches the linebackers, maybe he's the defensive coordinator. to to be able to have the time to communicate with the head coach about decisions to make. It's just critical, just critical.
2: Coach, I think you you bring up an important point there. I I think as a special teams coach, you really – maybe it's on your own. Maybe it's through being able to communicate with the different coordinators. But to be able to make a call, for example, let's let's just say it's a fake punt. You have to know that your defensive coordinator – is comfortable potentially being on a shorter field, or uh, for example, maybe you're going after a punt, and you know in those situations being aggressive, there's always the opportunity that an official could throw a flag. You know how comfortable is he with you know getting right back on on the field without a break and having to to essentially give them another set of downs and stop them. What's the recommendation on how you handle those things? Is it something you know you talk about? During the week, is it something that, you know, do you recommend that there's a short period of time where you can communicate those things and and have your voice on the headset? What is it that operationally will lead to success or at least coaches being on the same page?
0: Well, again, I'm I'm probably going to be repetitious on this uh, to a degree, but I'll I'll try to address it uh, the way you can. Unfortunately, there's times when a team's trying to get to a destination and you're on three different ships. Uh, you're on an offensive ship you're on a defensive ship and you're on a special team ship and if you can get 600 yards a game on offense you've arrived at the destination regardless of the score if you can if you can hold them under 200 yards on defense probably will win the game but whether you do or you don't you, you unfortunately you've you've reached a destination whether you win or lose uh, you return three punts for a touchdown on special teams you've you've got to your destination even though you could lose that game and you probably won't but you could so all being on the same ship raising the mass w- with a certain risk to get us out of this storm everybody's got to be all on you know all together they got to be together and the only way to do that is through communication and the time to communicate certainly is not you know on game day on the sideline it's the most chaotic and least opportunity you could find to do something like that uh it's the same way with personnel a lot of times i've had my own issues with a position coach that thinks that i work for him in terms of personnel and that's not the case you you know you have to say wait a minute i'm not your assistant i'm not pulling that guy out because you want him to be pulled out communicating that strategy of entering a game i think all three phases should come together and the head coach you know, you you think there's a there's a real good chance that you should rush every punt. Well, like you said, there's certain risk involved in all of that. Uh, you think there's a real good opportunity to fake a punt. Well, certainly there's there's risk, and and risk can be greater than the execution, and you end up with a you know a bad play. When you walk out of that meeting on Tuesday, I, I mean it, it's already set. It isn't the defensive coordinator's griping about a roughing because you stop them on third down and that happens. I mean, you know, that happens if you're not all on If Again, if all the arrows aren't moving, you know, here's the beautiful thing. I'll I'll just relate this one. When I was a high school coach and I coached at the high school I went to and and just about everybody there, it was a community school. All the people grew up together. Most of the coaches were from that school. We all had our, we all had our hearts in the, the Salmet football. We, I mean, there was no statistics. We didn't, you know, we might've kept them ourselves, but there, there was no ranking of this or that or any of that stuff. All it was that Schellman High won the game. And the, the more you move away from that mentality, the more fragmented each individual phase can get. And that's a bad thing on game day because just what you're saying happens. You fake a punt, And maybe the defense coordinator in some cases may not even know about
2: it. Mm
0: -hmm. Well, for him to be exasperated at that call plays into his defense going back out on the field. If you rough a punter when the defense came off and his exasperation feeds into those players going back on the field, and generally they'll have a bad series where if they rough the if they roughed the passer in that series, which is the same thing, there's not as much angst regarding that penalty. Mm-hmm. But it's the same thing. You would have got them off the field, but you roughed the passer on an incompletion. Now instead of them punting, you know, one play later, you roughed the punter and they got to go back out.
1: Right.
0: You can see that a lot. And if you're sensitive to it, as a special teams coach would be, because you don't, as a special teams coach, you know, you're the last person – want uh, to have one of your guys rust a punter. Uh, the punter. The defensive coordinator thinks it's him, but believe me, you're, as a special teams coach, you, you are dissatisfied with that play more than he is. Uh, no you, doubt. you don't show it, but again, if, if he's aware of that situation and he understands why, whether he's on board or not, when he left that room, he's committed to that head coach to be on board with it. You've got a better chance of, of keeping them off the board. So, again, communication and all the arrows being in the same direction is the most critical part of football. In my mind, it's absolutely way more critical than anything else. And being organized for game day, carving out the time to be organized on game day, on how you're going to do it. You know, Now, if somebody drops the ball, uh, well, they dropped the ball. There was a mistake made. But it, it, at least you covered At least you did the professional thing of – you know, Joe, you're responsible for making sure we got 11 on the field. Mm-hmm. Come hell or high water. I'm going to be looking out on the field. I'm going to be looking at the situation. I'm going to be looking at what hash. So if I need to call um, a, a directional punt, I need to get all that information. I can't be turning around. Whether you got, I'm not denigrating the dot system. I, like I said, it just wasn't for me. I think it's a great idea because you do get people up there. But even if you had the dot system, you're not facing the dot and counting the guys when it's fourth down. You're looking at the field. At least that's how it was for me. Now maybe I, my, I have too many shortcomings to do the other thing, and probably do. <laughs> I, I,
1: I'm fairly sure that's not the case there. But Bob, I just want to ask you one last question, and just I don't want to get too granular with it, but as a general formula particularly in high school or or college. I know the NFL is different. You're not going to throw Brian Urlacher or or somebody like that out there too much on special teams. But for a starter on offense or defense, is there a general number in your head, in your mind, that what's saying that your head coach is is on board with playing starters on special teams? How many phases of special teams would you play a, a starter on?
0: Well, here's what I ultimately did, uh, Charlie, and you're right. Uh, A a guy like, you know, like Dick Durand, who we both worked for, he he counted that play as important or more important because it was a space play than a scrimmage play. So he wanted a good player out there. So you you could literally, if you wanted, as as his special teams coach, maybe had everybody that was a starter out there. (laughs) You, as a team guy, understand dynamics of a lot of things that guy's value, that guy's ability with responsibilities and everything else. So you, you limit it. But what I'd come up with somewhat, and, and, a, and a coaching staff of any level can come up with this. I had a formula for starters in terms of every position and what phases they should play on. So in other words, let's, let's go punt return. The defensive backs could play, if he was a corner, he could play on two special teams he'd be a corner on the punt return and he'd be a safety on the kickoff coverage <laughs> in that in that example if the guy was a a linebacker we would have him on just one phase and the, the, the corners were the only guys that played two phases the the wide receivers i wanted them to play one phase if it was a star wide receiver I generally didn't want them on any phase because they weren't going to play very well. That's just the nature of <laughs> those guys. It's that's, that's not a, uh, an insult. It's a fact. They just haven't historically played very well when you put them out there. So I had that formula of linebackers, outside linebackers, tight ends, fullbacks. And particularly when, and you know this, if the tight end is getting 40 plays or less, I think he should be on at least three special teams, at least three, whether he's a starter or not, because if you're using that many formations, which a lot of teams will do same way with the fullback. If he's, those two positions are kind of interchangeable. If they're getting 40 plays or less, I think they can play on three special teams. The backup running back can play on three special teams, those types of things. So I I had a formula. I can't show it to you in this conversation, you get down with pencil and paper and you say, all right, I want my starting tight end. We play him every play of the game. Uh, I don't want him to play on special teams at all. Boom. Right. right. That's it. It's done. You know, you kind of know about it early going over it with the head coach is the best thing. And then after you've gone over it, not compromising is the best thing. Cause the worst thing you can do is present something to the team as a head coach. And then, and then compromise it and don't do it, it not only hurts the special teams, it hurts the it hurts the credibility of the head coach. Same way with saying, you know, you're going to make this team, if you're the best special teams player, you're going to make the team, and then the best special teams player gets cut. Those are killers. Those <laughs> are killers. So the head coach is so important to what you do on this stuff because he's the one that ultimately is going to decide to make the critical decisions on that personnel. And if he lets that, if he lets that fullback know, look, you, you know, we're only going to play you 35 plays a game because we're going to be in three wide sets most of the time with a tight end. We need you on three special teams. That's what you got to, you know, you got to get the other 18 plays.
1: Exactly. Seems, seems to be a common theme there, Bobby Hanke. <laughs> seems to come back to communication yep. as head coach every time. The worst
0: thing possible, the worst thing possible is lack of communication and a bunch of arrows pointed in different directions. <laughs> I, again, I'll repeat it. The most important thing, for, I think, in coaching, but in special teams, is the communication and everybody's arrows pointing in the same direction, the direction that gives us the greatest chance to win the game. And it's the same for the special teams coach. If you want to use um, London Fletcher, who's a linebacker who's going to be on the field the whole time, if you want to use him on the kickoff return because he's the best front line blocker and the head coach says, no, I don't, I I don't want him coming off of a a long series and then going back on the field and, and running another, you know, 40 yards to get set up. I don't want that. Then you as a special teams coach have to leave that meeting and you're moving London down to the third team. (laughs) That's it. It's done. (laughs) <laughs> so, yeah, the head coach is, is critical to special teams, just absolutely
2: critical. Coach, we really appreciate your time and, and being here on the podcast and sharing some of these ideas. I think there's, there's coaches out there who are certainly going to benefit from that. So, again, thanks for all your time and everything you've done for the game. Well,
0: thank you. I know we've been more philosophical than anything. I'm going to repeat it the more communication and the more everybody being on the same page. That's the most important thing in coaching.
2: Wow, Coach, that was uh, some great information from Coach April. I think he told us time and time again communication being the key and definitely a theme of the message he had to offer us. But when when I think of that and think of, of the teams I've been with, the most successful ones have that communication built in they've accounted for it they've built a system for it and they're all on the same page with what's going to happen on special teams
1: it just kept coming up over and over again and once again i think bobby was trying to point that out that you can't say it enough and and some of it is commonsensical from a standpoint of everybody needs to be on the same page but but I, but I do believe that if you listen carefully there and you look at every level of football, whether it's the NFL, college, or high school, where special teams is a huge part of it, the, the one thing I kept thinking is that in high school, that really the special teams coach and the head coach are almost probably synonymous, meaning that if you have spread your special team's Duties out among, you know, three, four, five, six coaches. It would be important to sit down as the head coach, but, but then take that head coach cap off and put your special teams coordinator cap on and make sure everybody understood and have your coordinators offense and defense in there also. So it probably would end up being a full staff deal, but as the head coach, make sure that everybody in that room understood that the head coach was the special teams coach too, and that this is the way it's going to be run. And uh, like Bobby was talking about, we won't be making any decisions in the third quarter. We're going to make them this week and decisions coming from one person and that will help the game day run much more smoothly.
2: Most certainly. And going back to one of the topics we talked about that idea of practicing the transition of special teams. I feel it's very important. That's why I brought the question up and what I had to offer to our listeners is our template of what we call the mock game and we would do this at the college level. It was on Fridays. Um, I did it at the high school level as well. We would do do it as our Thursday and what most people just consider a walkthrough day where we would get our guys out there. Uh, sometimes with a scout team in some situations, sometimes it was just to get against air, but the idea is we had a unit out on the field in a certain situation Uh, And then we would bring out our special team. So we really started to work that transition and and get the feel of what the game is like on game day, that flow of the game and how you get people on and off the field. Because as coach pointed out, you know, that sterile environment where we're only working it for this period is easy to focus where you're supposed to be. But in all the chaos and dynamics of a game day, that becomes more of a challenge. That's, it was a great question. And, and I, I reflect back to Tennessee in
1: 2012 when I was special teams coach there. And, uh, we would do that on the Friday. And the other thing that we would incorporate after we got, let's say a situation where the punt return team was out there, uh, the head coach, which was Derek Dooley at the time would call out, uh, number 54 broke a shoelace or something like that. Or his pads mm-hmm. are broken. And so that would, that would make the, sideline understand that yeah okay it might be a deal to where somebody somebody can't be out there so the backup you know the backup right tackle has to be out there or the, the backup wing or something like that so you you can't I don't know if you can do enough of that kind of stuff as, as, as coaches you know we're always nervous we we do it for five days if we could but but yeah that that's invaluable and uh I like I, the other thing that he talked about from a standpoint of the chart you know, with the substitution. Meaning that that's what a professional Bobby is. Bobby's got it down to where in, in at least at that level, the, what he thinks a cornerback, you know, how many phases, but not only how many phases a cornerback should play, what phases they should be. So what I'll do is um I'll get with Coach April on that and we'll get that typed up and we'll make sure that we make that available out there on the coaches community site as well as the USA football site so that the coaches can go and see exactly what someone who has spent 30 to 40 years of their life as a special teams coach what they think the
2: substitution and how your offensive and defensive personnel should be used. Coach, I'm excited to see that resource as well. So, uh, thanks for running that down for us, and we'll share it on our websites. And coach has been a, another exciting interview uh, that we've lined up here. I appreciate the work that you're putting into this and the time you're giving this. I know coaches out there are listening, and we're going to continue to to provide you some information throughout the season with some great guests that we feel is, is helpful and can help your team right now in 2018. Thanks, Keith. Look forward to next week. Thank you again for listening to the Coaching Coordinator Podcast. Please, if you are enjoying the podcast, head over to iTunes or Spotify and click five-star for rate. If you have a minute, write a review. It really helps the podcast. Check out our new home for the coaching coordinator podcast that's at coachandcoordinator.com and follow me on twitter at coach k grabowski